This is Real Estate Rookie Show number 67. I wouldn't have learned that by reading something. I wouldn't have. I, I only learned it by doing it and then telling people that uh, it's okay to fail. My goodness, I fail all the time. I'm on house number six and I failed just recently. Care and I am here with the birthday boy as we are recording this. Today is Tony's birthday. Today is, thank you, Ashley. I'm, I'm uh, it's the last year of my, well, no, actually, I'm entering the first year of my 30s, so today's my 30th birthday. So my, my 20s were good to me. I'm, I'm excited though for what the 30s have to offer. So um, while you're enjoying a great birthday, I actually have a crazy story to tell you. Well, let's hear, you know, I love a good crazy story. So you know that I'm in Florida right now. Anybody watching this on YouTube can see I'm not in my closet. I'm actually sitting on the floor in a bedroom, <laughs> but I left my house uh, two days ago and I was on my way to Florida and I slept at 4 a.m. and I didn't get to Florida until 36 hours later because of all of the travel delays. I went through two canceled flights. I actually flew from Buffalo to Baltimore, from Baltimore to Atlanta, to Atlanta to New Orleans, where they said, sorry, we can't land you, bad weather, had to fly back to Atlanta. Hold on, stay on the plane. We're gonna fly you back to New Orleans. <laughs> and then finally I got there. So I spent the night there and then basically I hitchhiked my way to Florida. <laughs> but I made it just in time for the podcast. <laughs> you know, I got a trip coming up this weekend too and I'm like nervous about it because we're supposed to fly through Texas for our layover. So we're gonna call when we hang up here just to make sure that it's still uh, that it's still safe to fly. I don't wanna, you know, as much as I, I, I admire you actually for your like stamina, I don't I don't quite wanna replicate all that when I try and fly. Right, and so. I still don't have my bag. My bag, last I knew my bag was in Miami on my way to Houston. So maybe you can pick up my bag for me. <laughs> and I know it's supposed to make its way to Pennsylvania at some point but <laughs> so i had to go i had to go shopping and buy some clothes a toothbrush and yeah when i landed text i'll let them know that i'm there for your bags also you know i'll drop them off my way to my way to tennessee so there is a bigger pocket sticker on my bag so you'll is know it's really? mine <laughs> yeah <laughs> i gotta i gotta you know represent bigger pockets whenever i can so today is tony's birthday so we brought on an extra special guest just for his birthday and we have D on today to talk about how he's doing burr deals, how he's driving for dollars, and how he bribed his wife to read Rich Dad, Poor Dad to get her on board with investing. He also talks about how he's slowly kind of made the transition, or not the transition, but he's expanding his portfolio to include not just single family homes, but he's got a 19 unit storage facility that's under contract as well. We dig into how he found it, how he analyzed it, um, and why he believes it's a good addition to his portfolio. But I think one thing that D highlights really well is the ability to take action. You know, he was really good at educating himself, but then once he educated enough, he would go and then act on the things that he learned. And for a lot of the folks in our audience, I feel like that's what they kind of struggle with is they get so stuck in the education phase, they forget that at some point they need to apply that knowledge and actually take action. So hopefully he can give them that kind of encouragement to get going. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. 
Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. Remember when you had to pay to get a lead's phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right, get high-quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do-not-call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Dee, welcome to the podcast, brother. Happy to have you on this morning. Hey, thanks for having me. It's super exciting. Yeah, man. So we'll get into the real estate story and all the deals you've been knocking out. But before we do, just tell us about you. You know, when you're not working in real estate, what are you doing? And what kind of gave you your start into real estate investing? I'm from Georgia and I moved from Oklahoma with my family. And I've been married to my wife for 10 years. We have four amazing kids. We bought a house here and that was my first purchase. And then I'm in Oklahoma, so my uh, wife and I got my my mom a house. So that's that's how I first got started in buying a house that wasn't mine. Okay, and uh, at the time I knew nothing about real estate or anything like that. Okay, and then so what's interesting is just out of nowhere, I just decided I wanted to buy a house, and this is before I I got on bigger pockets or anything like that, and so. Uh, what I did was um, I started searching for a house and just like like everyone, it's, it's nerve wracking and, and terrifying. And uh, so what do I do? Well, I asked my brother to join in with me so that if we fail, we fail together. Um, and so I went ahead and my, my other thing I ran into was how am I going to pay for it? That was my fear. And so what I looked up was I did a, a HELOC. I actually did a HELOC on my primary uh, residence. And so what I did was we found a foreclosure and uh, I went ahead and used all my money from my HELOC to buy my first property. D, I just want to make sure I'm following. So you're, this house that we're talking about, this is a house that you purchased for your mother, you said? So the very first house I ever purchased was with uh, with my mom. Um, I co-signed with her because she didn't have enough income. Uh, but I bring that up because that was my first house and it kind of ties into my um, one of my rentals. You co-signed for your, for your mom first. That was kind of what introduced you into the world of real estate. Mm-hmm. And then you said, okay, let me see if I can do this as an 
actual landlord. And that's when you found this partner and, and you kind of went down that path. Yes, exactly. Let's dive into that just a little bit, D. So like, what, what was it that made you say, you know, I do want to be a landlord? Like, what was it about that interaction with your, you know, co-signing for your mom that made you say, I think I want to do this as an investor? That's the beauty of it. I have no idea. I mean, I got that first house and I just out of nowhere was like, I'm going to get a rent house. And I think part of it is because my dad has some rental houses uh, in Georgia. And so he's kind of been someone I could lean on and ask questions, but I, I was never involved in him buying houses. I was never, he never talked to me about it, but I, I thought, Hey, I'm going to get a rental house and maybe get some income from it. And so I went ahead and bought it. And then I didn't do anything for two years after that. So two years later, um, I was at, uh, we have life group where I go to church and we get together um, in a group. And one of the guys was like, Hey, uh, have you heard of bigger pockets? I was like, never heard of it. And luckily he texted me cause I'm terrible at remembering things, but he texted me the website and I went on there and I started watching some of the podcast and I was like, this is amazing. You know, like I can, I can have residual income and not have to do anything. So I ended up uh, doing a little more research. And I actually ended up doing a cash out refi on some of those properties, which was we ended up buying my mom another house. Man, you're a great son, D. I've, I've, I've bought my mom. <laughs> I bought my mom zero houses so far, so I think I'm doing it the yeah, wrong way. I, she said, "Son, you're not going to keep moving me, are you?" And I was like, "Mom, don't ask questions." Was the strategy D to to take that original house that you bought for her and turn that into one of your your rentals? Was that part of the approach? Yeah, so that was actually my second rental was the the house that I bought her, the very first house that we bought. And I got someone in there. He actually was an airline mechanic from Texas and they moved him out here to Oklahoma and pre-COVID. And he was a great tenant. And and that's the thing is I, I did a lot of um, uh, vetting, uh, trying to find a good tenant. And I went through a lot of them and I found him and and uh, he, he was a great addition to my uh, uh, tenants. So with your mom, I want to know, is this like a house hacking strategy? So did you use her as to kind of get like better financing when you purchased that property? Yeah. So at the time, I didn't realize how how difficult it is to get foreclosures, right? So with foreclosures, you they're all owner occupied gets the first bidding. And so at the time, I didn't know that. But if, if we were to ever get her another house, I think that we would try to get a foreclosure because sometimes the best deals are on the foreclosures. Uh, but that wasn't the initial idea of, of trying to take advantage of, of uh, using her with those because that's not what we were going to do, no. And now what does your portfolio look like now as a whole? So just real quick, an overview of how many units do you have now? So I have, uh, I have a total of six. I have six rental properties and I actually have, uh, I actually, I was going to close on a storage facility yesterday, but with the weather that Oklahoma has been having, we've been having snow. And uh, so it got pushed till next week, but that will be a, a 19 unit storage unit. And so that's awesome. exciting. Yeah. And it's not a liquor store, but I looked into that. <laughs> Um, but you know, uh, storage units are low maintenance, but it's just like rental properties, you know, you're learning as you go. And the biggest thing that I have learned is you can do all the research, all the analysis that you can, but getting out there and actually doing it is what I learned the most from. It truly is and doing research and then just jumping. And that's my thing is people are always sitting there wanting to analysis paralysis until you jump. 
D, I'm so glad you said that. Like, I, I feel the same way, right? That as a would-be or as a new investor, it's really easy to get caught up in learning, learning, learning. And I learned a strategy a while ago, and it was actually on a marketing podcast, but the concept was called just-in-time learning, right? Like, I don't know if you guys have heard of just-in-time deliveries, but it's like, as soon as you run out of something, it gets replenished, right? Like, it's a big thing in supply chain, but it's called just-in-time. But if you apply that just-in-time strategy to learning, what it basically means is you only learn up to the point that solves your problem. So if you are if you haven't closed your first deal yet, then maybe the first step is getting pre-approved. So you go out and you do as much research as you can about getting pre-approved, and then once you feel you've learned enough about that specific step, you go take action, right? And then once you get pre-approved, you're like, okay, what's next? Well, maybe I need to go find a deal, right? I need to analyze a deal. So then you do a bunch of research, okay, oh, how do I analyze a deal? How do I analyze a deal? Then you go take action. And it's like, you learn, you learn, you learn, you stop learning because you've learned what you need to learn, you go take that next step and then you start learning again. And, and I've realized that if you if you kind of approach learning in that way where you're learning just for what you need to know to take that very next step, it can make sure that you don't get stuck in analysis process and you keep moving forward. And, and it kind of sounds like that's what you did as well. You learn so many things that that you can't do research on, but that's that's the beauty of it. Like, for example, my uh, my third house that I got, I actually did a um, conventional loan. And um, I use the money down from that cash refi. And so in my head, I'm thinking, well, here's the beauty of what I do that gives me peace of mind sometimes is when I find a house, I will email my, uh, my agent and I will send her the address and she sends over me some comps. Okay. And so based off of those comps, my credit union, uh, which is out here in Tulsa, it's Tulsa federal credit union will actually give me a cash out refi of 85%, which is great. So I take the average of the comps that she sends me. I multiply it times 80%, which I did in the first house. The first house I did 85%. That was a mistake. You want to leave yourself some room. So I multiply it times 80%. I subtract closing costs. I subtract all the repairs and maintenance and things that are going to need to be done to it. And that is the offer that I, that I make. Every offer includes closing costs and every offer includes a home warranty. Uh, because a uh, recent house I learned, I bought it and then I got the home warranty. But the home warranty doesn't go in effect till 30 days. So hopefully nothing goes wrong in the first 30 days, which I could have actually bought the warranty before in negotiations and then it would have gone into effect once i moved in i definitely want to talk about the home warranty side more because i don't think we've ever talked about that on the podcast before but first real quick before we do that just to go back to when you started how did you get your mom on board and how did you get your wife and your kids on board with this new venture that you're doing so when we moved to oklahoma my mom stayed in georgia because that's where we're from and so we talked her into coming to Oklahoma because everyone's here. So when she moved here, she moved to just an apartment complex that she had three dogs. And my mom lived on the second floor and she just letting the dogs out and going up the stairs just after a while, it started taking a toll on her. And so then we said, well, how about this? How about we just buy you a house with a fence? And she was wanting to start, you know, a dog sitting business. And um, so that's how that got started. My wife, she is the, the, the nicest, sweetest person you'll ever meet. And, uh, she is, she's all for whatever I want to do. And I actually had to bribe her to a point to uh, read rich dad, poor dad, because you know, rich dad, poor dad, that was the first book I read and it changes everybody. Right. So I was like, you got to read this book. And she goes, I don't want to. 
was like, all right, well, <laughs> what do you want? She said, I want a new mattress. It's like, all right, so I'll meet you in the middle. If you read this book, we'll get you a mattress. So she read it. And it's, it's just amazing. Like the next couple of days, she's like, gosh, you know, D, we could do this and get residual income off of this. I'm like, who are you right now? You know, like <laughs> what? Uh, so it's it's amazing reading and just creating knowledge. It's, it's awesome. It truly is. So moral of the story is just to... Rob your wife, right? <laughs> yeah, like, that's yeah, exactly Sarah, what I was going to say. When in doubt, when in doubt, yeah, find out what so she funny. wants. Sarah and I, my wife, we've been at our house for two years now. And one of the only things that we haven't bought since we moved in is a new mattress. So we're like still sleeping on the mattress I have when I was like, you know, in college. And she's been asking and asking for a new mattress. So maybe I'll use that as an opportunity to get her to finally be rich dad, poor dad too. So uh, I like the way you're thinking, brother. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the third house that I got, I, I did the calculations. I was off because I figured 85%. I should have figured lower. And then the repairs costs were higher than I thought it they're going to be. So in my mind, I thought, okay, well, I'm going to go ahead and, and uh, instead of paying someone 2,500 to, to paint it, I'm just going to paint it. And so I went to Lowe's and was going to rent a paint gun. And sure enough, I go over there and the line is so long. So I just go ahead and uh, go to the, see how much they were. And I ended up buying a paint gun and I will never paint a house again. It was the hardest thing ever. But uh, it was something that I learned. And I learned that it's always good to set up more repairs. And I've done that in the future houses too. So not only do I do 80%, but whenever I figure reconditioning and rehab, I add an additional 5% to it, give or take, you know? So that's uh, definitely something I keep doing. Yeah. So D, I want to touch on that a little bit because you, you talked through the formula that you're using to land on your purchase price. And I want to make sure that we walk through that with the listeners. So what you're saying is, you know that you can get up to 80% of a home's value when you do a cash out refinance, right? So if a house is worth $100,000, the most that you can get out on a cash out refi is 80% of that or $80,000. And what you're saying is you can't offer then $80,000 in that house because that leaves you no money for repairs, maintenance, and all those things you need to do, closing costs. So you're saying you take your, your value, you take 80% of that, which is 80,000, and then you subtract out your closing cost, your repairs, your reserves, if you wanna hold that in there as well. So you're probably somewhere close to like $60,000 or, or you know $65,000 in what you can actually offer. And I think that's an important thing to point out because as you said, it can be really hard to kind of miss the fact that, that you don't get all of that 80% and you've gotta budget some of that for the repairs as well. So I'm glad you pointed that out, but just wanted to recap that for the listeners as well. No, that's a really good point because here's everyone's fear is this. They say, well, what if, what if the house isn't appraised for what it's supposed to? Well, that's, that's possible. But the, the house that I bought, I actually have a great relationship with the banker at Tulsa Federal. So here's the beauty of it is he can pull the, the, uh, the ARV. Okay. And if it, if we want to accept that ARV, we don't even have to do an appraisal. He'll just go off of that. Or he can, if it doesn't add up to what we want, he can actually order an official appraisal, which costs, you know, however much it costs, four or 500 bucks. So on that house, I actually knew the ARV in advance. I knew what it was. So I did 85% of the amount and I was golden. Oh, I've got this set perfect, but I didn't. I didn't factor in all the repairs and the things that needed to be done to it. But is it always that easy? No, I mean, it's, it's, but, I wouldn't have learned that by reading something. I wouldn't have. I, I only learned it by 
doing it and then telling people that uh, it's okay to fail. My goodness, I fail all the time. I'm on house number six and I failed just recently. So just know that over time, it's a long-term goal. It's a long game, I mean. And uh, over the, the whole 30 years from now, those houses are going to be worth so much and you'll be retired. Yeah, anyways, we, we bought that house and closed on it. Got a Section 8 tenant in there. Never thought I would do that. And uh, sweet lady, truly. And, and I went through a lot of Section 8 people who applied. And I just tried to find someone who's genuinely just trying to get by. And actually, funny story is it came up, came down to her at a little less because they, the Section 8 cut me back a little bit on the rent that I could be, uh, charge based off that area or someone else who would pay me more, but it wasn't guaranteed income. You know, with Section 8, you get monthly, you get the income on the first or second of each month. So I said, well, I'm going to go ahead and take the uh, the lower amount to be guaranteed. Plus, she's a sweet lady. Her, she's got two kids. She's single. And I'll tell you what, I drive by her house because it's pretty close, about 10 minutes, and she's got decorations up. I mean, she takes full ownership of that. People do. They, they want to have ownership of it. Um, I even brought her Christmas gifts on Christmas for her kids because she's got twin kids, a boy and a girl. And I just want to understand that they're important to me. They're not just a, a regular tenant, you know? They're a customer. And also like Section 8, I love that too, because if they move out or they move or they don't pay rent, like they are at risk of losing their voucher. So like exactly how you said, like they're making their house a home. I have found in my experience, a lot of Section 8 people stay in place for a long time. That's great. You have a long-term tenant and you have that guaranteed rental income for whatever portion Section 8 will pay. And usually it's a very large amount of the rent. I want to backtrack to where you said that you have been able to skip appraisals and have the bank tell you the ARV. Can you explain a little bit more? Because uh, skipping an appraisal sounds amazing where, you know, you're not paying $500 for an appraisal. You, it's almost too good to be true. Yeah. You know, up front with your ARV is already going to be. So please, can you uh, explain that a little more and how can I get that? <laughs> I don't know how uh, other banks do it, but uh, yeah, no, I... He just, and I didn't, um, when I went to do the cash out refis, uh, is how I learned about it. So he was like, well, we can pull the ARVs on them. I don't know if he called them ARVs, but it was basically the ARV. And if, if that amount is acceptable to you, we can do 85% of that. And I was like, wait a second. So you don't have to do an appraisal. He said, no, it's $20 to pull the, his ARV on his side. Were they like basically pulling comparable sales, like pulling the comps from other properties that had sold and said, this is what we can do without an appraisal. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but uh, I just bought a house the other day and got an AR. I bought it for 60 grand and I got an email from him this morning that said it, the ARV on it is 97 grand and it's three doors down from the third, the house, the third house I bought, which appraised for 110. So now I say, do I want to just keep the 97 grand or do I want to get some more money back to invest into other properties? So that's going to be something that I'll have to uh, look into because I want to build my income and my money to fix other properties, but I also don't want to get uh, too out leveraged there. I think one thing to call out too, right? And because it's really interesting that every bank, especially when you get to like a local and regional level, they all kind of do things differently. 
right? Like I've never heard of a bank being able to give you an appraisal without actually going out to the property and doing all the things that an appraiser does. So that's, that's really cool. Like I, I also had a bank loan from a local regional bank where they said, we're going to give you an ARV based on what we think it'll appraise for after the repairs, but I still have to pay for an appraiser to go and walk the property to see it, to make all their measurements, do all their things. So the fact that you found a bank that doesn't even need to do that and still gives you an ARV is, is really cool. But I think the illustrative point is that when you deal with some of the local regional banks, they've got a lot more flexibility in how they do things than, you know, a Bank of America or Wells Fargo will. Oh, yeah. And and I called multiple banks and emailed because, you know, research says I has to, right? So I did. I sent a lot of emails and I got two people that replied to me. And this guy that I worked with um, has done investment properties before. And I was like, oh, this is perfect, right? He'll know exactly what to do. He can give me feedback and advice. But um, the beauty of it is, is this. A lot of people say, well, once I get to a certain amount of uh, FHA loans, what do I do then? I mean, no one's going to give me loans. And so my wife and I were out to eat uh, probably, I don't know, three weeks ago. And uh, we were just talking about life and things like that. We didn't have any kids with us, so we were living it up. This was lunchtime, though, so we weren't drinking or anything. I, uh, I was like, you know what? I wonder if I ever quit my job, which I don't plan on it. I enjoy my job. But I said, I wonder if I ever quit my job, if I could still get loans because I don't want to work forever. And uh, so I was like, I'm just going to text him. I text him and said, Hey, what if I quit my job, for example? And he said, D, that's a great point or a great question. Your extra income is just icing on the, t- on the cake. He said, we're a portfolio lender and you're, as long as your portfolio is is doing well, that's perfectly fine. And so that gave me some peace of mind. So I was like, perfect. So if if I decide that I want to go do a different route, I don't have to worry about the stress of you know buying more properties. And that's always kind of the the question that a new investor has to make is because I think people are so eager to walk away from their W two, they forget that sometimes that could impact your ability to get loans. So I, I I'm glad to hear that you know you you kind of reached out and, and made that connection and made that understanding before you made a, a big kind of life changing decision. But I want to hit D on the storage unit. So you said your first six units were normal kind of residential properties, but the seventh unit that you're working on is a storage unit. And I I absolutely love that. You know, I've I've got storage units kind of on my my future wish list of properties to buy. So I'm curious, what was it about storage that made you think that that was a good route to go? And I guess secondarily, were you nervous kind of going into this new asset class? Because running a storage facility is a lot different than running, you know, a single family residence as a, as a rental? Yeah, that's a, a great question. I um, kind of just came across it on good old LoopNet and uh, I found it there. And so I saw it for sale and I was like, man, right away I did some research on it and I tried to research everything. And um, I saw that it's a great investment because it's low maintenance. And um, so I reached out to them and uh, went out and looked at it, and it's a nice little place. It's 19 units, so it's not it's not something crazy to where it's going to be hard to manage. Um, I think that I'm always I've heard people say go big. Well, I didn't want to go big right then because I wanted to kind of figure out what I was doing. And in so far, I mean, it's uh, I've got everything set up. I've got a website that I reached out to people, did a lot of research on that, to where they can actually go in there and set up their payments. Um, and if, if a storage unit's vacant, people can go on there and search it and sign up hands-free. I don't have to do anything. And 
that is the plan. And, and you know what? If it's successful, maybe we'll have another story down the road to where I'm a big storage unit investor. Do you, what resources are you using to learn how to actually manage a self-storage? Well, there's this uh, this website called Bigger Pockets. <laughs> <laughs> I, I haven't heard of that one, Ash. We got to write that one down. Let me go check we will put a link out. in the show notes. <laughs> Seriously, I Google everything related, you know, host selling. I'll Google host selling, big, uh, storage units. I Google storage units. I just watch videos and then I, I, I just read articles and I read the, the laws to it. But I, I learn better watching videos versus reading things. So, but that's the perfect thing because there's so many on there. And, and then, and not only that, the forums, people just don't take advantage of the forums. If you have questions, post something and people will answer them. And not only that, but they'll give you more information that you asked for, you know, and that's how I learned on the houses. I just did a whole bunch of deals on burrs and I shared my burrs and then people would tell me what was wrong and then I'd go and fix it. And then I send it again and people would tell me what was wrong. And so that's how I learned. If I don't have a, didn't have a mentor, I mean, I was learning on the go. So bigger pockets is by far the, the best, best route, best option to, uh, to do research. Uh, there's also, have you read AJ Osborne's book? I think it's just the investing guide to self storage. Mm -mm. Um, that's a great resource too. I mean, he pretty much breaks it down like step-by-step -step as to how to acquire property, what to look for, and then like how to actually manage it. I'm writing that one down too. Yeah, it, it is awesome. And follow him on Instagram too, because he does a lot of, um, like posts and stuff. I think it's, I think his Instagram is just his name, AJ Osborne, but yeah, every, anybody who's interested in self-storage, this is like the guide to check out for that. AJ Osborne. Yeah. D, D, I've got one follow-up question before we move on. So how, how is it that you analyze a storage facility? Like, is it, you know, the same as underwriting a, a, a long-term rental or what are the differences? What do you look for? How do you know if it's a good deal? What I did was I, I reached out to the, uh, the owner and got some information on how many units were there. And there was only one that was vacant. So that was good. And then I found out that how much they were charging per month. And so then I added it up and then I went on to, um, you know, uh, just a mortgage calculator and plug some numbers in there just to see would it cash flow, you know, would it, would it make me some money? Cause you know, with, with properties, you have to set up repairs and maintenance, capital expenditures and things like that. And then storage units, not so much. And then I was like, well, okay. Numbers wise, it looks good. And so I went a little further and, um, did my research and uh, made an offer on it. And, oh, and I also learned a lot about uh, cap rates. Don't ask me about them because I don't remember, but I did learn a lot at one time about cap rates. And I learned that, that actually it was a, you know, it was a good deal based off of that as well. So, but again, everything boiled down to, I found something, I did research and then I leaked and jumped and, and did it. Let's talk about LoopNet. So I often hear like LoopNet is where, you know, properties listed for go sale to go to die. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I heard that. So how how was this deal still available? Like I've heard, we've had a couple guests on before that are like, it was just listed wrong. Like the property was on the commercial side when it really should have been residential. So anyone looking for this wouldn't have found it. Why do you think this property was on LoopNet? And, you know, why were you able to get it? Was there competition or were you the only one looking at it? Was it the area that it was in? I know it had just got posted and I'd reach out to my agent to reach out to them 
And I was I was excited. I mean, you always have that fear of loss, right? You're like, oh, well, if you don't get reach out to him in time, what if it's gone? And so uh, I actually went ahead and called the agent that was listed, which actually turned out to be the owner. And we kind of built a relationship, super nice guy. And he did say he had some people interested in it. I never really dug into why he sold it to me versus sold it to them. But, you know, we did build a pretty good relationship to where we talked a lot and uh, um, communicated. My only guess would be there's two things about this storage unit. So it's not gated. So when you think of a storage unit, you think it gated with the lockbox to get in. Um, it's not gated and it is in a smaller town, which is a smaller town for me. It's just 15 minutes away from me. But price wise, cash flow, it just seemed like a, a really good deal. I don't know why nobody else was interested in making an offer on it. Or maybe I made a bigger offer than they did. I'm not sure. But that was actually my first time ever making an offer and negotiating without an agent. And I researched that as well. So it's I sent emails, I I searched templates, like how do you make a lowball offer? You know, and so I did it and I got it for, you know, a pretty reasonable price, I think. And uh so yeah. I Googled, I watched bigger pockets obviously and, and things on that when they talked about it. Basically, you are proof that you can still find deals on LoopNet. Like that is not like even today, people are saying you can't find deals on the MLS. Well, lots of people still are. You just have to constantly keep looking at them and actually run the numbers on them. Yeah, LoopNet's great. And I, I even saw a liquor store on there and did some research and reached out to him. And I eventually, I would say a week later, turns out that uh, he didn't update the fact that the mortgage had uh, the rent had tripled. And he just hadn't updated. It was, you know, it was just a mistake. So you got to be careful too. You know, you got to definitely read through everything. And that's why you do your due diligence. You verify every single number. Like even like, especially on the MLS, when I'm looking at a property, I always verify the, the property taxes because like in some towns in New York, it will be a village tax, a town tax, the town and county, and then the school. So you have those three taxes. And a lot of times they will only include two of those numbers and not the third one. Oh, so wow. like that's why yeah. when you run your numbers, it is so important to verify. Like think about it, if you would have went to purchase this property and right before closing, you see the lease agreement and you find out then after all that due diligence, all that work of trying to acquire the property. And Yeah, no, I'm glad I caught it too. Yeah, definitely. What would be some advice you'd give to a rookie on doing the due diligence on a storage unit or even, you know, one of your rental properties? What are some things that you look for during the due diligence period? Just go through everything with the uh, fine tooth comb. When it comes to the storage unit, I'm not, um, first off, I'm not a professional when it comes to real estate, but definitely not storage. So I, I don't know if I would be the best to give a ton of advice on storage units. I think it all boils down to the same thing of just doing up the research and I don't have a mentor. So I just, I just try to find all the answers online and uh, I do need to find someone who, you know, uh, that I could always reach out to and, and uh, if I do have questions. But, uh, you know, my brother, for example, he's getting into it now. He's trying to, he just made an offer on a house yesterday and he's always calling me and I'm just like, Joe, I, his name is Joe. I, I can't keep answering all these questions, you know, without, you know, getting something out of it, you know? I mean, just to work <laughs> like that. There'll be 10% ownership. <laughs> Come on. But you just can't call me out of the blue. But I did, I did learn some stuff from my dad though. My dad told me two things that was really, really interesting. And, and I don't know if y'all ever do it or ever heard of it. I haven't heard anything on bigger pockets about it, but uh, the first thing was rent. So 
he said what he does with his rent is he'll charge, for example, on my first house I bought with my brother, the rent is 1200 a month, okay? And in the lease, I say, uh, it says that if you pay by the first, it's 1150. So you get a $50 discount right off the bat by paying on time, okay? If not, no big deal, rent's already $1,200, right? You're just getting a discount for paying on the first, $50. So everybody pays on time. I have yet to have uh, and someone not pay on time because they're saving $50 right off the bat. Uh, and the second thing they told me, which was brilliant, which I think I might've heard is when it comes to uh, like um, service calls. So I'm perfectly fine with fixing things. I don't, I have someone that does it, but if you need a service call, it's $50 deposit up front to get someone out there. And the reason he said that's, that's crucial is because most people will fix it if they know they got to pay $50. And so, you know, prime example was the garage door didn't work at the, uh, when my first house. And, uh, I was like, no problem, buddy. Yeah. I'll get someone out there. Just go ahead and get the $50. And then I didn't hear from him for three days. And I followed up with him. He goes, yeah, I looked it up. I got it fixed. I'm like, I bet you did. I bet you did. I love that trick. I haven't, I haven't heard of the, uh, like the $50 deposit for repairs. Do you use anything like that, Ashley, in, in any of your rentals? No, I've never done anything like that. I mean, we charge like a lockout fee. So like if you lock yourself out, you have to have your $25 for the person when they come. But and then you will find people usually, oh, you know what? My sister has my spare key. She's going to come actually. So uh, I, I never thought about that lockout key. Only that example, but not the way you've done it. I can't take credit for it. But, uh, you know, I have had to fix a few things. And uh, but here's a prime example of why you do it. The uh, house I have that my mom, or the first house she bought for her a long time ago, this is the guy that lives there and he's a handy guy. He's an airplane mechanic. You can't get any handier than that. And then he said, hey, uh, the, the toilet is overflowing or it won't flush. And I was like, okay, well, uh, try plunging it, of course. And he said, yeah, I, I did. And, and I've reached down in there and I can't get anything out. I just don't know what it is. So I was like, dang it. Okay, well you know, pay your $50 and I'll get a plumber to go out there. And so plumber went out there and then that guy wasn't there for five minutes. And he called me and goes, yeah, so uh, there's a rubber ducky stuck in the bottom of the toilet. I just reached in there with my hands and grabbed it. I was like, oh my gosh, I would have stuck my hand in that toilet. Cause I still had to pay the guy to go out there. It was more than $50, right, yeah. but it's a prime example that if I would have been like, no problem, I'll pay for it. But uh, yeah, at least I got half no. of the, the money back. <laughs> the stories of being a landlord, right? There, there's so many good yes. stories. I think that's the first I've heard about a ru rubber ducky in a, in a toilet. I have a, a story real quick to tell like where this would have been a great example of so this was just uh, this past December, I think tenants had moved in in November and already they were like very hard to handle. And I was actually self-managing them until we renovated the second unit and then turn everything over to the property management. Well, I actually handed it back over to them way sooner because it was just very difficult with them. So they called me, texted me, and they knew people I knew. So they had my personal cell phone and texted, Niagara Falls, water pouring in, help, 911, mm -hmm. <laughs> like in capital letters. So I call my contractor, I'm like, can you please go over there? And so he goes and they had turned on the hose outside and they couldn't, they took the actual like nozzle off of the hose that, so when they took that off, they took the hose off, the water was still running and cause the spigot was broken. But if they would have kept the handle on there, nothing would have came out. So they just let the water run and well, it ran down into the basement and was pouring into the basement because the water had nowhere else to go. 
and they are freaking out on me that there's water coming in. Like this house is awful, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, because they left their water. My contractor, he won't, he's like avoiding starting the rehab on that second unit. He's like, no, I'll just work on this other project for you guys. Cause he doesn't want to deal with them being there. That would have been a perfect example to use that, that $50 deposit. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Wait, actually, no, I have to share a story as well about like a water spigot in my backyard. So I was in a meeting for work, you know, I'm, I'm working from home. This is COVID time. And, you know, I'm sitting here talking on, on a Zoom just like I am with you guys right now. And I have a window to my right and it faces our backyard. And I'm on the second story. You know, that's where my office is in the second story of our house. So I'm, I'm, I'm on the Zoom. I'm talking and I can kind of see out of the corner of my eye that there's just like water shooting up from my backyard, like into the sky, reaching up to the second story. And I'm, you know, I'm in a meeting. I'm like trying to figure out what the heck is going on. So like I, I pause my video. I, I, I go outside, look out the window and I see my son. And he's like over the, the water spigot outside, like with his hands trying to put it down. So I like run downstairs. I'm like, what the heck is going on? And he was trying to turn the water hose off, but he turned it the other way to keep turning it on. And he turned it on so much that little nozzle that turns on the, the water popped off and all the water kept shooting off. So I had to like run out, run over to the front of the house, turn off the water. That way we could get find a little cap and put it back on. But it was, it was the funniest thing. And my son was absolutely soaked and uh, I got a good laugh out of it. So hopefully you guys will too. <laughs> Kids are notorious for saying, it was, I didn't do anything. It wasn't me. I just, I walked outside, right? It's like, sure. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, enough about crazy water stories. Um, let, let's get into a deal. D, do, I want to, I want to go into our rookie deal. Do you have a, a good deal that we can kind of deep dive for the listeners here got a couple to go through the first one was going to be the the third house that i bought but i kind of went into that a little bit but i'll i'll, I'll finish that story yeah we can dive into it so i, I just want to ask a few quick questions to set the table for the listeners so you can just give me yeah. a quick one response and we'll we'll dive into it a little bit deeper from there but what market was this property in it was in tulsa tulsa oklahoma got it and what was the building type single family multi yeah, no, it was a it was a single family, three bedroom, one bath. Got it. And what was your strategy with this? What is the was it a simple buy and hold, burr? Yeah, so that was going to be my first uh, buy and hold, but I was going to burr it. Okay, so so burr strategy on that one. And what did you purchase this property for? Uh, I purchased it for uh, eighty six grand. Eighty six grand. How did you find this property? What was the the story behind actually getting it under contract and getting it closed? So that's the, the funny story with this is I found on Realtor, which it's so hard finding deals these days, but that's a different story. So I, I found it on Realtor and it was online for 110 and I liked it and I reached out to my agent about it. She sent me over some comps on it, some numbers. And based off of those numbers, I said to her, I said, it, I, there's just no way. I mean, it doesn't meet my formula. My formula is X, X, and X. I need to make an offer of like 75 grand, you know, 76 grand. And that was keeping the percentage lower. I wasn't maxing it at the 85% just yet because you don't want to do that right right away. And um, so I said, I, I, I don't want to make an offer. Let's go to a different house. And she said, no, let's let's just make an offer, D. Just, just offer and see what they say. Worst case scenario, they say no. And I was like, I like the way you think, right? Most agents say, I'm not going to go through that trouble of doing all that. Are you kidding me? They're going to say no. So 
We submitted an offer and they said no, uh, but they countered us. They countered us at 86 grand, 86 grand. And then we countered at uh, 86 grand with uh, closing costs and a home warranty. And that's where the home warranty and closing costs came into play because I just, I want to limit the amount of money that I have to put down. And if I can have closing costs done because people want to feel like they're winning, right? So if if they feel like they're going to give me closing costs, it really helps me, but it's basically essentially three, four grand on that house. So, but that's how much I paid for it and how everything went into it. I love that you found it on the MLS as well, right? Like you found your storage unit on LoopNet where people say they can't find deals. You found this deal on realtor.com where people say they can't find deals. So I think the fact that you were willing to negotiate is what really made this deal work. Like they were asking 110, which is probably why a lot of other people had passed that deal over. But because you had the courage as an investor to go in and say, I like your house, but it's not worth 110, but here's what it's worth to me. That's what opened it up to, to being a good deal for you. Yeah, just think about it. If you're selling something, you, you know, people are like, what's your best price? You know, you're not going to give them your best price right away, especially if you're selling something. If you're, It's going to be higher. So don't let, that's why I tell my agent to keep it. If my minimum is here, I want you to go a little higher because I don't want to miss these deals that will come lower. So that's just, you know, it, it helps me get, look at more deals, but, but I'll tell you what, it, it is harder to get houses these days. The competition is, is hard. And so I went a completely different route that I never thought I would go, but I had two options, right? I had option A, which was to just sit at home and just, you know, complain about how tough it is to get houses and just say, you know what, D you had a good run. You did, but, uh, you know, desperate housewives are coming on and, or, I could go and try to find some houses. So I, what do I do? Well, I Google and I get on get bigger pockets and I find uh, host selling. And I was like, okay, well, I've seen some videos, right? On people host selling. And uh, so I did some research, but in my head, I thought, well, I need to do a lot of research and, you know, take your time D. don't jump into it too fast. Well, I jumped into it fast. I started driving for dollars and uh, started writing down houses that looked vacant, that had issues, right? And so I ended up getting home and I think I got like 30 houses that I spotted in the area. And uh, I wrote down the addresses and I hand wrote letters and sent the letters to people. And then I followed, I, I got online and uh, got their phone numbers and I sent out text. And I kid you not, the house that I bought, the third house, three doors down was a house. And that guy offered to, uh, to sell it to me. How did you find their phone numbers? Can you go into that? How did you get them offline? Was it just Googling their names or did you pay for it through a, a source? No, it, it's a uh, it's a website. I'll have to uh, pull it up and see. I want to say it was, um, what is it called? True, TruePeopleSearch.com is what it's called. Is that like through whitepages.com? Yeah, Like yeah, is that linked is. to that? Okay, yeah, I have seen that. I, uh, I found the phone number there and, and sent a text. And the funny thing is... She, I talked to his, his wife actually called me. She's like, we're not interested in selling. We're rehabbing this house. We got multiple rentals. And I was like, okay, no problem. I, I appreciate you giving me a call. You're the only one who called me. At least, you know, someone's reaching out to me. And then I, I found a CRM. There's a few CRMs, lots of CRMs out there, but I'm testing a lot of them out. And I went to CRM. I loaded the information because I loaded the driving for dollars into an Excel spreadsheet, which you can though import into the CRM and it sent a letter, another text out to her. And sure enough, I get a text from same person saying, I, I'll talk to you, give me a call. I was like, 
wait a second, that's the same lady that told me she wasn't interested. She's messing with me. That's what's going on. And so I called and it was just a, a, an older gentleman and he was like, you know, what you going to give me for it? And I was like, this is what I practice. This is I practice. I know this script. And so I went through the whole script with him and, and I went out there and looked at it and ended up buying it. Real quick, can you just explain what a CRM is for anyone that doesn't know? You know, I think a CRM is just where you can uh, load customers into or, or people you're reaching out to and follow up with them, text message. Um, if you send out, for example, a, a, a mailer, something, a mailer, and they call that number, it actually will keep everything in the system. So it's really a good follow-up system is what it is. It's a way to keep track of all your, your people you're reaching out to because there's just no way that you can keep up with that amount of paper by just writing it on pieces of paper. Now, I'm sure you could. I'm just not that good. There's just no possible way I could do that. Yeah, I love that you're being so creative with how you're you're finding your deals, right? Like you you went to the MLS, uh, now you're doing driving for dollars. Like you're you're using all these different strategies, and and it's it's just showing that that even when it feels that there's no deals to be had, there are still deals to be had. You just have to change up your approach. Always, now, I, always. I, yeah, I, I love that approach, brother. But I, I want to loop us back to the deal, right? So you you said that you found this three one, um, you got it under contract for eighty six. Uh, you were able to negotiate some closing costs and a home warranty. Um, so what happens after you close? Do you immediately start the rehab? Does it go perfectly fine? Kind of walk us through what happens post-close. Closing went fine. I ended up finding a guy that would help me with the rehab. And so what we ended up doing was we demoed a wall in the kitchen because it had a weird setup and, you know, I want it to be an open floor plan. So I asked him to come out there and look at it with me. How much would he charge me to demo it? He told me how much. And then I said, well, let's do it on my day off because I want to come there and watch you do it. And not only that, but I want to be involved because I want to learn how to do it because I don't want to have to pay you every single time. Man, he put me to work too. He did not hesitate to make me work. He gave me a sledgehammer and he's, he said, you knock out these uh, cabinets here. You would think that knocking out cabinets with the sledgehammer is easy. It's not. It is not by any means. And uh, But I ended up knocking it out, clearing it out. He did a great job. And uh, we ended up getting it uh, rehabbed and, and I did the painting, which took me six days in a row. And painting cabinets, I did, that's the one thing I'll tell you, I did not Google. You've gotta Google painting cabinets. There's a lot that goes into it. I did that mistake once where I just painted it and it was like, the next day it's already peeling off. Yes, it was a terrible idea. So we did that and then uh, I put it on uh, online. Uh, there was a site that I used. It was actually, I still use it, uh, called uh, Turbo Tenant. And uh, what's neat about Turbo Tenant is you can post it on there and actually will send it out to, you know, Facebook, Craigslist, you know, Zillow already for you. And then the leads come in and then they can actually apply, the, the, the person applying actually pays for the background check. They pay for the, the credit app. They pay for everything. And there's a text messaging system in there too, so I can text message with tenants. But that's how I found my first one. And, and really that's the section eight. I had no idea what section eight was. And she said, do you accept section eight? And I said, no, I don't, I, I, I don't. And she goes, well, my, my voucher is for a thousand dollars. I said, well, maybe I might accept section eight. Uh, so I, uh, I did research on it and I, I emailed a guy and he explained me through the whole process and I uh, ended up using her and getting her into the, the property, but. Um, so it sounds like it worked out well for you, right? So you, you, can you recap how much you spent though, D on the rehab? 13 grand, give or take. I only set up 
seven. I only, I didn't set up as much. So, you know, it was the, um, I had a lot of electrical w was had issues with and, uh, um, the demo was more than I thought. Painting is, is expensive. Whether you do it yourself, it costs a lot. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but yeah, I, I ended up spending more than I anticipated. If I would have set that up in the beginning, it wouldn't have been as bad. Yeah, but that's not bad. I mean, so you're you're all in for ninety nine thousand. Do you know what the property appraised for after all of your work was done? So here's what's funny: is the amount that my uh, bank sent me was ninety seven grand. Okay, so going into it, I said ninety seven grand is what he's going to give me the value for. But after I had the house for a while and I did a, uh, a refi, the value went down to like 88 grand. And I was like, oh no, here, this is how it starts. This is it. And so I ended up paying to get an appraisal done. Sure enough, that thing came back at 110. Uh, so it was more than uh, what it originally was. So um, I still didn't get all my money back, but... I'll tell you what, if that AVM or ARV would have been 88 grand from the very beginning, I would have never even bought the house. So uh, it worked out really well. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think the numbers still work out pretty well. And then you said you're renting it out for $1,000 a month. No, that was her voucher. And uh, unfortunately, uh, they would only let me rent it out for 865. Got so, it. Okay. Um, and I had an offer for, I think it was 910 give or take. And I went with the 865. I figured $50 was more worth peace of mind than it was to try to, I mean, what's $50. I mean, if you have to evict a tenant, it'll add up quick. And then what, what's your uh, you know, approximate profit on this property on a monthly basis? So my cash flow on it is about 150 bucks. And that is setting up also uh, property management. So I, I never did that in the beginning, but I, after watching more bigger pockets, you know, go ahead and do it now, right? Set your budget up for having a property manager. So when you do decide to maybe have someone else do it, it's not like, oh, there went all my cash flow. Where'd it go? So I have it set up automatically and I do everything uh, myself. So it's pretty, it's easy so far. That's great advice right there. And that's something I did at the beginning. I've made many mistakes, but one thing I did was always add in for property management in case I decided not that I did not want to do it. And that day has come and gone. And, you know, my cash flow has stayed the same as to what I expected it to be, because in the very beginning, when every time I purchased a property, I would run the numbers with the property management be in place so that I always had the option to to go forward with that. Well, thank you for sharing your, your deal with us. <laughs> This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
Hiring, your search is over. Really, there's no need to search. Match instead with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates super fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to hire top talent faster. Speaking of top talent, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. But why do I love Indeed? Because I'm busy and scrolling through 300 resumes is not helping my business grow. It's actually making it slow. With Indeed, I can hire faster and know I'm getting someone who can do the job. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to post your jobs with more visibility at Indeed.com slash rookie. Just go to Indeed.com slash rookie right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash rookie. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Rookies, 2024 is the year to start protecting your rental properties with an LLC. But you don't have to do all the paperwork and filing yourself. Corporate Direct is your professional and affordable option for getting your LLC done right. They handle the state filings, draft your operating agreement, and act as your registered agent. They'll even help you comply with the Corporate Transparency Act a new federal disclosure law affecting every real estate investor. Corporate Direct is a family business founded by attorney, author, and rich dad advisor Garrett Sutton over 35 years ago. Now, his son Ted is a licensed attorney working with him. Together, they've helped thousands of real estate investors form and maintain their LLCs and protect their assets. If you're trying to build a real estate portfolio, do not skip the LLC. Head over to corporatedirect.com slash biggerpockets to schedule a free 15-minute consultation with an incorporating specialist. Mention Real Estate Rookie and get a $100 discount on your formation. That's corporatedirect.com slash biggerpockets. Okay, so D, I want to talk about like goal setting. How has your mindset shifted in aspects? And now that you're a real estate investor, you obviously have taken action. You've done a lot of research. Is there anything you do for goal setting and tracking your business and like keeping yourself focused and in that investor mindset? I do. And that is a great question. And I, I learned about it on a go figure bigger pockets podcast. And, and he, his, and I can't remember the exact terminology he used, but I think he called it, and maybe y'all will know it's called like a, a five-year plan or something along those lines. The 12 week year. Yes. Gosh, I tried Googling that today. I couldn't remember. It's yeah, but it's, it's great because, you know, in my mind, I, I have to buy a certain amount of houses, right? So, Hey, what do you want to do? I want to retire at this age, right? Uh, with this much income. Okay. Well, how are you going to do it? I'm, I'm going to buy houses. Okay. Well, how many houses are you going to buy? I don't know. 30. Okay. Well, how many offers is that? I don't know. So what's neat, what I started doing is, and it's it, out of sight, out of mind, right? So everything is in, is in front of me. I have uh, my board behind me. I have a spreadsheet that I update every single uh, month that I have to make an offer a week. Every single uh, week I have to make an offer, okay? So I have to make four offers a week, which would get me 50 offers a year. And so in my mind was, you know, I'll get 10% of my offers accepted, okay? So that's where I'm gonna get my five deals. 
Um, and so that's what I just continue to do is I set that up and then I set up that I want to have uh, $150 uh, a cash flow a month. So, but I, I, I have that goal. Well, how am I going to get to cash flow? What am I going to do? And so it's, it's, it's really neat to have goals, but to break it down because people always have annual goals, right? They, they say, I want to do this this year. And then November comes around, they go, Oh, oh crap. I forgot I was going to do that. Versus if you have it every quarter, you know, it's, you, you know, Oh, it's getting close. I need to buckle down and make some offers. So uh, just last week it was, it was Saturday and I looked up and I said, I haven't made an offer this week. So I found a house and I made a ridiculous offer on it and my agent was perfectly fine. She actually laughed because I said, hey, I got to make an offer this week. Now they turned it down, but they countered me, which was great. It still didn't meet my numbers, but here's the thing. What would have been awesome is if they said, yeah, sure. I don't know what their pain point is. Do they want to move it? Are they, are they moving different states? So you never know. And to add on to that is like, okay, you put that offer in. If what if that property doesn't sell? Like you are you are someone that they know is going is still interested in that property. So there's always the chance down the road, six months from now, it's still sitting on there. Hey, who was that guy that did make an offer on that property? Maybe now we realize our price was too high and we'd be willing to sell it. So that's why I like making offers too, even lowball offers, because you're that person is thinking of you. I had a property, it was a four unit. They wanted 90000 for it. I said, you know, I was interested, but I couldn't pay that. And two years later, they approached me and I wow. actually got it for twenty grand. So, like, it just shows, like, don't be afraid to put in those lowball offers. I definitely used to be, like, embarrassed and, like, I don't want to insult people. But, you know, you might help them out down the line when no one else is interested. They, they know that you were someone they can come to and possibly talk to about it again. Yeah. I think it's key though, also that you find the right agent that understands your game plan, right? My agent knows that I've got to make a certain amount of offers. She knows that we're going to make some ridiculous offers, but if your agent isn't on the same page as you, if she doesn't understand or he doesn't understand what you're trying to accomplish, then, uh, you know, you need to communicate it with them. And if they're not okay with that, no hard feelings, find someone who is, um, but my agent is, is amazing because she knows she's been doing it a long, long time and she can tell me certain things that are wrong with houses. And um, she is like my Google when I go look at properties. She can tell me everything. It's, it's, I got super blessed to get her for sure. And I just want to note the name of that book that I think you're talking about, D, is The 12-Week Year by Brian Moran. And I'm actually reading that book right now. I've really been, really enjoyed it as well. And, and, it, and it kind of breaks down goal setting into these smaller, more manageable chunks. Then obviously on Bigger Pockets, there's the Intention Journal as well. Um, there's been a lot of good feedback from folks in the community about that also. Dee, I want to take us to the rookie request line. Uh, so this is where we give uh, folks from our audience a chance to ask uh, our guest questions uh, that, that hopefully you guys can give them some good insights to. So for those of you that are listening, uh, if you want to have your question potentially featured on the show, give us a call at 8885 Um So D, let's jump into today's question. Hi, my name is Sam. I'm from Pasco, Washington. And my question is, how do you balance the desire to grow your real estate portfolio with the desire to become debt free? Specifically, at what point do you make the decision to stop pursuing more debt and start paying it off? Thanks, guys. Love your show so much. It's funny that he asked about debt because my wife and I years ago got into Dave Ramsey. And Dave Ramsey's all about getting rid of debt. And so we took it to the extreme by doing the envelope program. If you don't know about it, Google it. It's, it's a great deal living basically out of an envelope. But, you know... When it comes to accruing debt, 
for example, the recent house I bought, I bought it and did I accrue debt? Well, yes, but it's it's worth so much more than what I accrued that I have equity there, then I have cash flow. And so the beauty of real estate is this, and, and this is what that he needs to understand is if I get $150 a month cash flow, okay? Yes, I have debt, but I'm getting cash flow. And, and at the time, it's like, that's not a lot of money. That's just $150 a month. Well, that adds up. And then you got to keep in mind that you are paying down the loan, right? You're paying down interest. So let's say that's $150, $200. And then you have appreciation. And a house appreciates, what, 2 3 4% a year? So then that's 2%. Of a hundred, that's that's two grand or twenty four hundred. So you're making money. So you might be accruing debt, but long term you're going to be making up way more. So, uh, but you also got to be smart, right? Don't buy something that's not worth what you're paying. With Sam's question is, do I pay down more debt? How do you get comfortable with adding more debt to your portfolio when you stop getting more debt? So with that, take a look at it, and it really depends on your goals, which is better for you but actually run the numbers. Okay, you're buying a $100,000 house. If you get a 15 year mortgage, what's your cash flow? If you get a 30 year mortgage, what's your cash flow? Okay, so then break that down. Okay, a 15 year mortgage, say you're gonna have $100 of cash flow and then after the 15 years, from 15 to 30 years, you're going to have $1,000 of cash flow. We'll take that and go find a calculator that does compound interest and look at if you invested that money, that cash flow into another property, invested it into the stock market. So run it at a 6%, 8%, 12% return. And look at what does that get you at the end, at year 30, how much money do you have? So then take the 30 year. Hey, for 30 years, you're getting, you know, $300 in cash flow for those full 30 years, you know, each month. Run that at the 6, 8, 12%, whatever you're going to get. And then look at the difference. And so you can map that out and look and see at year 30, how much money will you have based on doing that? So actually when I've run it and done it myself, it, the 30 year is better for me because I will have more money because I'm investing more money up front because I have that larger cash flow up front. But I'm also someone who's like, I don't like that either. Like, oh, maybe I should just pay it off and be more comfortable at year 15 and have greater cash flow then. So it really depends on what you are comfortable with and what your goals are, your short-term goals and your long-term goals too. But that's just like me, I love Excel, I love numbers. So like running those scenarios, like, okay, how much money will I have at year 30? <laughs> exactly, yeah, no. And an interesting story. So this, I, I'm pretty sure it was Thatch Win. He got interviewed on the OG podcast, episode 395. And he talked about his strategy was, um, I think it was like, 10 years or maybe five years, but like he would be in acquisition mode for like 10 years, right? Just buying a bunch of properties. And then he spends the next 10 years paying those properties off. And then he'll go in acquisition mode again. And that's kind of the the cadence that he's found for himself. But, you know, to, to Ashley's point, I think it's, it's really a personal preference, right? Like you have to understand like what level of debt you're comfortable with and you know what makes more sense for you in your specific situation i think that interest rates are so low right now that to have a property fully paid off in cash might not be the best uh, return on your investment but if the peace of mind of not having debt is more important to you than the return then you got to do what's you know what, what makes more sense for you in your specific situation so yeah i think there's pros and cons to both i don't think there's a right answer it just depends on you yeah 
I love the I love the response to the question, but I guess we can finish it off with some some random questions to get to know you uh, a little bit better. So we we talked uh, about your portfolio, um, and you've got the, the the regular residentials. You're moving into storage. Are there any other asset classes that you're looking into? Do you plan to acquire more storage? What's what's in the future for you when it comes to investing? So I I don't anticipate getting any storage units. But I will, I mean, if something comes along, I definitely would be interested in it as long as the, the numbers make sense. Um, but I definitely want to uh, get a feel for this one and, and make sure that I, I get it down and, and figure it out. Uh, but I, I'll tell you, I, I really am super excited about the, the wholesaling portion because I want to, my end game is to have a certain amount of houses. And if I can buy them right, I'll buy and hold. But if I get a house that maybe is in an area that I don't want, or maybe it needs uh, some more repairs, then I can, I can host sell it out. And so that is my, that is my goal. I, I feel like that is going to be what's going to take me to the top because don't get me wrong, real, uh, realtor.com, the MLS is great to have, but everybody's on it. Everybody is. And I learned that because when my brother started looking houses just two weeks ago, I found a house. And then I called him. He goes, yeah, I saw the same house. I'm like, oh, here we go. You know, this is we're going to run into some issues now. So uh, but definitely wholesaling is, is exciting for me. What would be I guess I can ask for my question to follow up on that as a rookie investor. Maybe you don't have any deals or you have a couple of deals and you're looking to get into wholesaling. What are some actionable items that rookie investors should do and where can they do some research? You know, you said biggerpockets.com and we love promoting it as much as possible. But, you know, are there any specific people they should be following on social media or anything like that? That's a great question. There's there's a few guys, but there's one guy and I can't remember his last name. His first name is Brent. But if you I'm sure if you I watch him on YouTube. What I love about those guys is they're not necessarily selling something. I feel like if someone's selling something to you, then it, then they're in it for the wrong reasons. Those places that I, as the people I follow that have given me advice YouTube wise on scripts to use, that's, that's the way to go. But the beauty of, of host selling is all you gotta do is get some phone numbers and a script and just call. Because I listened to one the other day where the guy was, he'd been there for, he was a 19 year old. He'd been doing it for two weeks and you could tell because his he was so jumbled and scared and nervous, but he ended up closing on that house, and I think they made like thirty grand on it. So, but that's the difference is, you know, it's just like us. You got to jump and do it. You just got to go do it. You can't just don't watch all the videos and say I can't wait one day until I do it. Well, what what's stopping you? Go and just do it. Go drive for dollars. That was the easiest thing. I went with my family, and I have four kids, and that was the longest. 30 minutes, I went driving for dollars ever. But the beauty of it was my oldest son was who's nine was like, Oh dad, that looks like a really good house. And so we wrote it down and I can't, I like to say that was the house we bought. Uh, but that's something that, you know, my family is everything to me. I wake up at five 30 in the morning to do real estate things just so that I don't miss time with them when I get home from work. Okay. But if I can go do things with them that they enjoy, that's going to be the things that they remember. And life is about the little things. Those little things add up. So was it a uh, Brent Daniels? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We'll link that in the show notes, show notes too at biggerpockets.com uh, forward slash rookie 67. So D has given a ton of uh, great, 
uh, books and different references for us to use. So we'll link all of that there. Well, Tony said the book. Tony remembered the book. I didn't. I didn't remember the name. I, I actually got the title <laughs> I'll wrong just too. Take the credit. <laughs> Before we find out some more information about you, Dee, and where everyone connect with you, I want to give a shout out to this week's rookie rock star. And uh, this is Justine Schuer. So she posted in the Real Estate Rookie Facebook group and she did her first Burr deal and she's super excited about it. She's getting $340 per month in cash flow. She uh, was all in at $75,000, purchase price of $34,100. And she actually got it at an online auction. Uh, the rehab, she put in $40,000. So $75,000 all in, and her ARV was $114,000, and she refinanced at eighty dollars So she actually got $5,000 back that she didn't even put into the property, and she's still cash flowing $340 per month. But uh, yeah, if you guys go to our show notes, we'll link this post because she has some pretty incredible before pictures. <laughs> you guys go check that out and, and see how she did. So congratulations, Justine, on that deal. So Dee, uh, please tell us where everyone can find some more information about you and uh, reach out to you. I'm on Bigger Pockets, but I'm also on Facebook. I'm not uh, the techie person. I'm not on Amazon or Amazon. I'm not. A, I'm on Amazon, <laughs> but I'm not on Instagram. Is what I was going to say, um, and I'm not on on Twitter or anything like that. But I I think that uh, you know there are a lot of people on it, so maybe it's something I do need to venture out and uh, to uh, to get into it. So you're just on TikTok then. Not on TikTok either. <laughs> uh, I tried TikTok, but I learned that it's a very addictive. And I was like, if I know that it's addictive, I'm going to stay away from it. So, but I have learned good things about TikTok. And I think that's something that maybe down the road, we'll see what happens there. Well, thank you so much, Dee, for um, everything, all the information you have provided us today. And congratulations on your journey. And I can't wait to see uh, what you do going forward especially with the the self storage and, and you know starting i i like that you were focused on one strategy strategy and once you got that strategy down then you went and looked at another strategy to diversify your portfolio that's awesome yeah i appreciate it it, was, it truly was a pleasure being on the show I, I i love watching you guys so thanks so much for having me thank you so much for joining us i'm ashley at wealth from rentals and he's tony at tony j robinson on instagram Make sure you guys listen to our Saturday and Wednesday episodes, and we'll see you guys soon. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom. And the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com slash deals, enter a few details about what and where you want to buy, and boom, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. There's free resources only available at biggerpockets.com slash deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com slash deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today.
The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.